0: everyone ragu and i'm back with uh my old friend ralph de la rosa ralph how you doing
1: i'm very well my friend it's great to be here with you how are you
0: oh getting along you know we were just talking about it but and i was thinking whenever you say that to somebody and they say yeah yeah we're doing the best we can now or um just we're hanging
1: in there how are you? Is a loaded question these days. <laughs> yeah,
0: nobody can go into it. I mean, because every part of all of our lives has uh, been disrupted in some way, which is just as a good uh, segue to. Uh, so Ralph has this book came out last year, right? Ralph, at the end of the uh, year, yeah,
1: something? yeah, late last year, yeah.
0: yeah. Don't tell me to relax. I so when I saw this, I thought, okay, this is perfect for me because I'm like, don't tell me to relax. <laughs> god damn it. And then the, of course the subtitle Emotional Resilience in the Age of Rage Feels and Freakouts. <laughs> so that's how we're all doing. We're doing the best we can with uh, everything that's going on. Seems to have gotten a little bit better earlier this year and uh, a little more stable politically and uh, and so on. And uh, But uh, yeah, we're dealing with we're still dealing with the pandemic and we're still dealing with uh, this racial justice. I mean, it's extraordinary, and the freakout. Talk about freakouts, where we're seeing so many shootings uh, in our country. On seems like almost day to day, but certainly week to week. I wouldn't be exaggerating there. So yeah, all of this is uh, well needed, and and Ralph. Um, I I love the way, Ralph, where, that you you put it together and express it in ways that can communicate to anybody. You do not have to be a Buddhist or a Hindu or a You just got to be someone who goes, wow, I really would like to shift my perspective the way it is possible for us to do. And it, 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 it means a lot. But meanwhile, catching up. Because I know you're in you're in uh, Nevada now, and um, yeah, how is life on the western side?
1: <laughs> it's gorgeous over here. Yeah, I'm actually on the California side of of Lake Tahoe, currently, and um, I've been. Uh, just working away. I, I decided this was my spot for the COVID year. And so I've just been here in the Tah- Tahoe National Forest. And um, and I open up my laptop and I see my therapy clients. I see my meditation students. I get to hang out with folks like you. And then I close nice. the laptop and I go back to the forest. And mm. I've been doing a tremendous amount of uh, snowboarding and different athletic training to kind of offset and to work with a lot of the stress and the emotions and what have you and kind of keep life in a in a balanced place. Yeah. It's uh, one thing to walk through this pandemic. Uh, it's another thing to walk through this pandemic with um, a very fiery aspiration to be of service to others and to hold space for others and to really kind of be in the Thick of things with folks, Um it it, it requires a, a tremendous amount of counterbalancing in terms of self care and and being able to regulate and what have you. So yeah, yeah, oh,
0: yeah, boy, you're in the right spot. But we we all are. I mean, you can. I mean, there's always a park nearby with a couple of trees at least. And we've been talking. Uh, I have been with different people on the podcast of so just hanging out about the value of connecting in that way through nature to really yeah. counterbalance uh, the stress that we have been under. And uh, you you picked the right spot. And uh, yeah. I'm in the middle of uh, a bunch of orange and avocado orchards that I walk through. Mm-hmm. That That does the trick, that's for sure. And yeah. I know lots of people are doing it, and I certainly would encourage anybody listening uh, that is a primary way of of rebuilding resources and and Ralph is going to talk about mm-hmm. it a little bit today resilience and uh rebuilding resources and and so on and yeah. um yeah. for those of you who have uh, not heard uh any of uh, Ralph and I've done a couple of these things uh over the last few years and um, Ralph's story really enables him to speak to the truth of the possibility of growing resilience and moving into a a different perspective rather than Mm – and just briefly, I mean, you you go into it a little again in this book, particularly, I mean, that hit me, the high school thing. That is such a tough, tough thing when when, – You are not part of the gang or the Mm clique. And uh, your life seems to be, you're you're in deep questioning of of the reality of your life and who you are, which is for you then, and it was me as well, uh, I remember back then that um, I spent real time on it. Uh, I'm thankful to actually, uh, music was such a huge thing for me. When I was Mm -hmm. growing up as a teenager and the kind of people I gravitated towards had something really special that allowed Mm me to uh, embrace that uh, possibility of moving out of my little me, me land and Mm -hmm. and, and belief in my story and all of it. So, yeah, talk a little bit just about your high school experience and how it's informed you uh, later in life here.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the the trouble really began for me. uh, Before high school, I I developed a pretty severe depression at the age of eight years old and um, experienced, you know, abandonment of my dad and and all kinds of rough experiences with him, which I talk about some in the book. Uh, Some of the visits to see him in Oklahoma were uh, very, very abusive. And um, by the time I got to high school, I was just kind of a mess. I had uh, a fair, fairly active PTSD uh, that was just sort of out in the open. I didn't really, I wasn't able to sweep it under the rug so much. And I was uh, just one of these kids that was really dejected and really sad a lot and uh, very frustrated and really didn't see the point of the world. Uh mantra that went through my head at that time constantly was, why would anybody bring a kid into this world? You know, and, and then to, you know, not show up for them and, and you know, all the other things that went on in childhood. Why would anybody do that? I don't want to be here. I didn't ask to be here. And I very much wanted out. And I think that that is actually the kind of birthplace of, of spirituality for a lot of us, right? Is like we feel cornered, we feel trapped, we feel stuck, and we want a way out we you know and spirituality doesn't actually give us so much of a way out it's kind of a
2: a trick there's
1: a there's a there's a bait and switch we think it's a way out but yeah it's a it's it's a way to go deeper Mm. and then that going deeper ends up being a a a liberatory sort of thing but yeah bullied uh attacked viciously um uh with weapons uh and i won't go too into details uh here but uh uh, on many occasions to the point that I, I'm, I'm a high school dropout. Um, I dropped out uh, the moment I was legally able to on my own and uh, and finished up uh, my diploma in an independent study, which uh, was basically like sixth grade level uh, stuff. And um, yeah, and and so it goes. I mean, and then spit out into the world with all of this baggage and all of this confusion and all of this longing and loneliness and and you know and no education (laughs) and what to do with that and eventually that gave way to drugs and i mean a great time with drugs honestly um in the beginning so it goes you know that's kind of the trajectory in the beginning it works and then you get to a point where it stops working and it becomes a hellscape and you can't get out of that, mm. and um, and just on down the snake pit and the uh, and you know I was fortunate in that um, I met with some really beautiful conditions and some really beautiful teachers. The Vaishnava Hare Krishna tradition uh, became a thing in my life. Uh, Amma and Amma's Darshan, uh, the hugging saint. If you haven't mm. heard of her, you can look her up. Uh, became a thing in my life. Um, and that really, even though it didn't wasn't the trauma work that I needed so desperately and didn't know that I needed yet um it gave me a very rich and beautiful context and a sense of possibility that uh as I wound my way down to kind of the bottom of the pit to the the hard rock bottom, we'll say of heroin addiction um and then discovering mindfulness and, and Buddhist meditation, uh, as I was beginning to clean up my act and, and get therapy and, uh, get medication for my depression and what have you, uh, having that devotional background, uh, really, really came into play in terms mm-hmm. of understanding meditation and, and understanding what's, what's possible for, for this human life, you know? And if I can just say quickly, you know, I mean, I, I know a lot of people are struggling right now, and uh, you we're in this kind of next chapter of the COVID thing, and we're still deep in the pit with with uh, injustices and and addressing systemic oppression. But the point I want to tease out here is, is despite the calamity and the disaster, it's possible to awaken in these conditions. It's possible to utilize the difficulty, not try to escape it or go around it, but actually to go, again, deeper with it uh, in such a way, if we can meet it in the right way and apply ourselves in the right way, it becomes possible to turn this into an opportunity to wake up and to develop Mm. uh, the heart of compassion, Mm. really.
0: Yeah, That's I think I mentioned answer. it last time, Ralph. Uh, the uh, Chinese would call this dangerous opportunity.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I
1: think about I've, I've been referring back a lot to Viktor Frankl actually mm, this yeah, year. Like,
0: yeah, yeah. I, I marked out that quote in the book from him. I mean, yeah. it's just. I mean, and this, I spoke of you as someone who's been through the quote-unquote wars from a young age, and. Mm-hmm. And speak, and you have the authority to speak from a place of where there is possibility, and 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 this is not BS. Well, Viktor Frankl, I mean, ah. it, it, you know, he was in the camps, and uh, of course, uh, just I'm trying to look for this thing. I don't know if you have it, but something we got a. Uh, Viktor Frankl was in the um, concentration camp.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: And uh, wrote this book that's just uh, phenomenal, but this gives you an idea. And and we've quoted him, and I have in other podcasts, um, often. Because, again, he speaks from the kind of experience that very few people have had and is able to convey that uh, the reality of even in the most uncertain and oppressive circumstances, uh, there is an opportunity. There always is an opportunity. So he just, uh, here's his quote, everything can be taken from a person, Mm. but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any Mm. given set of circumstances to choose Mm -hmm. one's own way to choose one's attitude and to me that means a perspective and just it's 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 amazing how small a shift it is as well,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. I mean he woke up to that penetrating insight after walking out of Auschwitz. And so what does that what does that have to say, you know, for us in our situations where it feels so fraught, it feels so complex it feels so impossible so much of the time how are we going to get through this how are we going to make sense of this you know now a big thing with folks is how are we going to walk back into life like what do we Mm. do in this transitional Mm -hmm. moment where there's still so many unknowns and and there's the prevalence of newfound social anxiety for folks there's i i I truly believe in my bones that we are going to see a wave of, of PTSD and trauma. Like it's going to start catching up to us over the course of the next, you know, year, three, five years, people are going to really start feeling the effects of, of what they've been through and have to process it. So, yeah. Hmm. So, yeah. Still in the age of (laughs) (laughs) freakouts.
0: Yeah. You know, the, so, the very first page of the book, you have this phenomenal quote that I've never heard before from Joseph Campbell: mm. "If you are falling, dive." Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's so great. Yeah. You know, encompasses yeah. everything around. What real surrender is not the kind that we think of in the West. Yeah, uh, in in India, it's called sharanagat, which is mm. the kind of it's the kind of last thing in terms of waking up
2: mm.
0: is this surrender that's not surrender. It's beyond surrender. It's where there's no choice left. It's completely mm-hmm. choiceless, mm-hmm. letting go and and uh, and diving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Complete yes. letting go and diving. Um, and and then your your other that Quote from the Vedas, eh? samsara davanala Lida loka Being caught up in this world is like sleeping in a forest fire. I never knew that one either. I love yeah. that. By the way, when did you go to India? And you were doing a whole monastic thing, didn't you?
1: I did a whole monastic thing in Pacific Beach, California. Okay, that's not <laughs> so monastic Come on. <laughs> but you know the, the robes and the tilak and the yeah. mangalartis and the you know and the sixteen rounds every morning of of japa and. Uh, this well, is dang. as you were,
0: came out of the whole uh, more desperate situation. Shall we say it,
1: it was actually a pit stop <laughs> in the oh. middle of the desperate situation? Oh, really? Wow! Yeah, one of my first very uh, uh, half-assed attempts <laughs> at finding my way out was: well, oh, let's move into an ashram, right? Isn't I mean, isn't that a fantasy that so so yeah, many people yeah. have? I'll yeah. just move into a monastery and then everything will be fine, and then. You move into the monastery, and what you find out is that your trauma finds you there. <laughs> <laughs> Seems true, right. Anywhere you go. Yeah. And then oh, you have funny. actually less places to hide, okay? and there's you know more work to do, and more personalities around you, and mm. you know, and the the discipline, <laughs> the top ta- the tapas of the whole thing, you know, the fiery discipline of the whole mm. thing, brings it right out.
2: And I uh,
0: yeah. yeah. And I mean these. The- yeah no just thinking of you know all of the as you, as you say and talk about you know all of the troubles and the suffering and the disasters and the, all of it uh, can be as you put it a wellspring of inspiration so now people get angry when you say stuff like that you know i mean ramdas used to say uh suffering it brings it brings him great Joy, it allows them to get one with God, and yeah. something like that. And but you know, people uh, to get into because people can get into this, you know, that kind of concept in a very masochistic way, in a very uh, that um, it's completely uh, has nothing to do with the inherent message that uh, everything is open and possible. Again, mm-hmm. if you just shift your perspective a little bit, um, it, it these things can, and, and a lot of people go back, wow, if that thing hadn't happened to me, then I never would have blah, blah, right?
2: Exactly, exactly.
1: I mean, how many stories of cancer survivors or, or folks, you know, who even died of AIDS are out there, you know, who, the, the, there's, there's some cases where people are, this is horrible, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me, it's so traumatic. And there are many stories out there of people who say this, I didn't appreciate life until this horrible thing happened to me. I didn't appreciate time. I didn't appreciate people until I, you know, got a real taste of how limited of a window we have to be in this body and, and to uh, uh, absorb the preciousness of this life,
2: mm. you
1: know. And so, yeah, I mean, Ram Das also said, uh this other thing that I've been coming back to over and over again that that the awakened ones, the enlightened beings, they still have their neuroses, but their neuroses are are just irrelevant to them. they're just you know they still have their anger and their hangups and but but it's just kind of off to the side and and what's front and center is is the
2: heart
0: well, there's no more hooks and stuff there, there there's yeah. no nothing the the attachment all of it is is gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's level different levels of that i i think uh, yeah i remember him saying that too in in a talk yeah. Yeah. um yeah cause what somebody what he said actually at some point yeah. yeah all of that stuff well what's happened over the years They didn't go anywhere i still got all <laughs> that stuff but they're more like little schmooze now
2: <laughs> you know they're not <laughs> uh
0: so good. yeah um, my um now, there's something here that I, I have to get edification on, Ralph. Hit uh, me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this just got interesting. <laughs>
0: uh, kirtan. Now, you mm-hmm. talked about kirtan, and you've had all that, you know, some good experience with the Hare Krishna mm-hmm. mantra. Yeah,
2: yeah. Ama yeah. uh, as well. Yeah. And
0: Ama, and who has wonderful kirtan. Yeah. Um, so – I guess you're speaking of a specific devotional hymn, but, okay, that's Bhajan, but Kirtan, repeating God's names to music and rhythm, goes on to speak of an ocean of mercy that is capable of extinguishing the heat of the suffering world, which is a core thing around Maha Mantra, you know, Hare Krishna, Hare Ram. And uh, it's a little unfortunate that they say this is the only way. And if you don't do this, you're out. It's a little fundamentalist, but, you know, it's funny because I I went to a Hare Krishna convocation, I've told this before, um, mm. and uh, with a friend. And it was like all day, all night, Hare Krishna, Hare, you
2: know, uh, yeah. a big
0: hall with all different singers and I remember this one guy who I still listen to today. He's, By the way, everybody, his name is Madhava Prabhu. You can, uh, he's on Instagram and he does oh. these. Uh, he has the most effective, heart-opening hmm. melodies for this mantra that I have heard uh, in a long time. And he does these live things. You go to his page, you'll find some of these live things. Anyhow, he started singing... And I just, so it was hours of complete letting go of everything. (laughs) And uh, at the end of it, I said to my friend, maybe they're right. You just need to do that mantra. In fact, maybe I'll go get that little haircut they do, you know, with the little (laughs) thing on the, uh, so, um, but you say it tells us that such a boon could only be delivered through the strength of intelligent self-inquiry. Combined with courageous, compassionate action. Uh, okay, so what are we talking about here in terms of the? Really, we're talking about bhakti, right? The the merging of subject-object through maha mantra is 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 um, the most intellectual way I could put that. Alongside of um, intelligent self-inquiry. What? Do we, how are you moving those things around?
1: Well, what I offered is an interpretation of of this uh bhajan, of this uh this this song that we sang every morning at four thirty a m after a cold shower <laughs> <laughs> oh that was a uh,
0: monastic
1: but, scene but, by yeah,
0: the beach in california
1: yeah <laughs> the 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 literal translation uh probably goes something like devotion to the guru devotion to krishna you know uh is is the, is the way to uh reach the ocean of mercy but if you think about what that means in a, from a less dualistic uh, less uh, a personal view of of god or divinity and you apply it to you know uh, here we are in this View, you know, the view I hold is, is Krishna's in everybody. Krishna's in everything. Krishna's in every cell of my body. Krishna's in the trees outside. Krishna's in the person that I'm trying to help or serve in some way. You know, um, and, and what is mantra if, if not intelligent self inquiry? it's you you mm. working on yourself in but in a specific way you're relating to the vibration of the mantra and things are coming up i mean emotions are coming up thoughts are coming up your your, your kleshas and some scars your habits and your your unwanted sufferings are all coming out and you know bhakti isn't i i do think it's unfortunate that the vaishnavas feel they have the one true way um i think they have a really beautiful way and And it's one of many ways um, but it all comes down to compassion. It all comes down to love. you know there's a million things that will work. there's a million things that can liberate us, but they all have one thing in common, and that's compassion that's that's love and yeah. so that's that's the idea that I'm uh, kind of uh, infusing into that interpretation is mm, that through, through self-inquiry, through uh, uh, working with yourself and through applying the compassionate heart in your life, in your relationships and all the situations that unfold, that opens an ocean of mercy where you become resilient. You can, you know, as Charles Bukowski says, what matters most is how, how you walk through the fire. You can walk through the fire. You can absorb the 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 insanity that really that's, good, that's going on around us and inside of us all the mm-hmm. time. We we can do it, but we need a method. We need a path. You know, yeah. you just do it bare naked, <laughs> or or while half asleep.
0: Yeah. You know? Right. Either or. I I feel very fortunate that. Uh, what ever caught me, because mm-hmm. there's, there's no n- real idea of what that thing is uh, mm-hmm. through what Ram Das when I first met him, and then um, particularly, of course, Neem Karoli Baba.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and, but what came out over the years, of, and and it manifested itself, uh, in uh, when ramdas was still alive and he was in, in he was in uh, maui and we do these retreats there somehow all these retreats had buddhist participants presenters people like jack cornfield mm-hmm. and so on
2: yeah
0: and, sharon yeah. and sharon and joseph and Roshi yeah. halifax you know, really great great teachers of that tradition of buddhist traditions different ones and they were just Rob Doss, as far as he was concerned he never gave it a thought he'd have fun with them a little bit whenever they talk about soul or uh, you know uh, and look over at them and go you know and jive them about that you know or they jive him yeah. but the he never thought of it they were old friends you know friends that we collectively known for a long long time but then if we started to there was some edification of what it was and that it was about pretty much what you're uh, spelling out here and what we're talking about right now which is the use of a heart-opening practice, bhakti Mm -hmm. through music, sound and vibration Mm -hmm. of mantra and alongside of that discriminating wisdom particularly Mm -hmm. through the Buddhist tradition and that seemed to be um, a combo that we were given, and uh, that's why I say, geez, I'm really, I I now think about it and go, this is um, a wonderful combination of practices that uh, we've been part of without realizing. Although (laughs) Maharaji Neem Karoli Baba used to, he didn't talk a lot about other other gurus or teachers and anything, but the when it came around to the Tibetans, he was particularly praising of them.
2: Hmm.
0: And uh yeah, I remember because people were seeing like Kalu Rinpoche, I don't know if somebody mm-hmm. from, from back then who was an extraordinary Lama and of course the sixteenth Karmapa and yeah. and yeah, so that uh, just forgetting about the specific traditions, the idea of discriminating wisdom and self-inquiry and mindfulness. You just described it all alongside mm-hmm. of the, the. to me, the tough thing, which is opening up into that love and compassion because mm-hmm. we all have a hard time with doing it for ourselves. Right. And I'm sure you talk about that because I'm sure you talk a lot about that to people.
1: Yeah. Here's the thing: is I don't think it's hard. (laughs) I don't think it's hard. It it just takes it takes some practice. It takes some help, and uh, usually some one-on-one help. Um, But I also work with a modality called internal family systems, which is incredibly aligned uh, aligned with Buddhism and Tibetan tantric Buddhism in particular. Um, That's a form of psychotherapy that I practice, and And one of the the, the central processes that we do called parts work entails finding compassion for the parts of your mind that are afflicted, such as with anger or loneliness or whatever. And there's a particular way that that we engage uh, folks uh, to at least get curious. If you can start getting curious about, okay, this anger is coming up. It's flooding my body. That all of a sudden my mind is saying all of these things that it normally wouldn't say. Like, I want to kill that MF, you know, or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, isn't that so curious? Isn't that like a fascinating aspect of your human experience? Actually, if you take a step back from it and look at it, isn't it, doesn't it become possible to say, what is what really is? Going on with all this energy that's coming up. And what you, what we find is that, you know, our defensive emotional parts, such as our angry parts, are always protecting a more vulnerable aspect of our psyche. And then when you tap into the vulnerable parts of your psyche, well, those are like little children, aren't they? Wanting, you know, maybe wanting mom and dad, maybe wanting just to be held. And if you can really, really step into a perception of like this is a, this you know vulnerable or wounded inner child part of me is really a living presence inside which our emotions are alive our bodies are alive our breath is alive and it becomes it starts to make sense to to soften in the presence of of your own emotional being but if i can take this to kind of a different place this is a slight sidebar you can We can also begin to glimpse that all of those emotional states, such as let's take anger, and I talk about this uh, a great deal in Don't Tell Me to Relax. Um, If you think about anger for a moment, anger actually has compassion at its core. The, the, The very spark that gives rise to anger is compassion itself. Because what is anger if not An energy that sees injustice or insult or injury, and dares to respond in and and you know in a fiery way, in a big way.
0: But how does that come from compassion? I'm not getting that.
1: Well, the definition of compassion is you see suffering and you want to address it. It's the quivering of the heart that wants to address suffering. And even though the I'm, I'm and I'm not saying the expression of anger, I'm saying at its very root. There's there's a compassionate intent there, and then the way that we experience anger, of course, you know, it's by the time it reaches the conscious mind, and we have the experience of being angry, it's already gone through so many layers and so many filters of our, you know, from the unconscious up to the conscious, and we get something that is uh, much more afflicted, but 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 it's still remains true that anger is an energy that sees some form of suffering and is attempting to address it, is responding to it in some way. And I'm
0: I'm trying to, I'm trying to get there (laughs) because it, you know, we've talked about this before. Anger is certainly, I mean, most of us are dealing with anger
1: uh, issues. Well, Uh, we have the example of Makali in the, you know, Vedic pantheon of, of gods and goddesses, right? She's pissed blood dripping from her tongue skulls hanging around her neck eight arms most of them holding weapons she's on a rampage but she's on a holy rampage cuz she you know she it's it's very similar to the case of you know the the last guy that we had in the presidential office right like that she was born out of all of the god's urgent need to uh, address this demon who had, was taking over the universe, and was became way too powerful. This is this tyrant demon, and so the gods and goddesses, you know, that's the origin. Well, one of the many origin stories of of Mother Kali. You know, they all got together and said, "What are we gonna do about this guy? We gotta get him out of here." And it was it they shot, you know, the energy of their their anger and concern out of their third eyes and, and and all of their third eye energy beamed into uh, giving birth to this beautiful and horrific, super angry goddess. But her one and only uh, mission was to destroy ignorance.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's the compassion. Yeah. 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 Well, a, this, this is uh, again, part of what we were talking about before shifting of, uh, view perspective
2: yeah
0: it's uh to encompass just even like me right now allowing that because my whenever I express anger it becomes so one-dimensional and so piled on from so many different sources Ah. uh so there's blindness I mean obviously much less these days than it was you know decades ago but still uh as you can hear I was like Compassion, what are you talking, you know?
1: (laughs) But see, what you're describing right there is the habitual way we normally Mm -hmm. experience anger, which is an intoxication. It's a form of intoxication, yeah. Yeah. right? And, but it's also possible to pause and to just, you know, it's the hardest thing in the world sometimes to do, but to, to just stop and notice that you're angry and notice that you're angry because something happened. And, you know, you're angry because you want to address whatever insult or or horrible thing came your way. And from there, you know, and this is that intelligent process of self-inquiry, you know, once you stop and you breathe and you stand back from your anger a little bit, as opposed to the one-way road that most of us go down, which is always leads us to regrets and apologies later. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we then, you know, forks in the road open up and we can start making mm-hmm. different choices. Yeah. You
0: know? yeah, yeah. The intoxication of power that anger mm-hmm. presents mm-hmm. is, uh, I'm just thinking now, it, it 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 pushes away the possibility of compassionate action. Yeah. And that's yeah. again that switch of perspective in that moment. Uh, by yeah. the way, you were you were talking about when people have when we all have like suddenly weirdest ass thoughts and dark thoughts that you could ever have,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: you the curiosity. I think that's an important thing. And mm-hmm. just this little story Ramdas told us. Um, I think it's common knowledge, but. Um, when Aldous Huxley was dying, he was taking acid every day. Ramdas was quite close to his wife mm. um, and it got to the point where everything he looked out at everything that he encountered he the only response that came out of him at this point was with his british accent which i can't really do well extraordinary 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 there's a good mantra right for us i was thinking about that when you started talking about you know encountering this darkness and uh, of thoughts and so on and and being able to just again pause for a minute and be curious about. well the ramdas's thing by the way was Wow, how did I get here? (laughs) You'd have a dark thought. How did I get here? But I like extraordinary.
2: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And all of these
0: things do the thing you're talking about, pause. And that is Mm -hmm. the biggest thing that happens over time. Once you start to let go a little bit of uh, the belief in the thoughts and the stories, and Mm -hmm. that is there's a gap and you're not jumping into wanting to – Beat the living shit out of the driver next to you that just cut you off. You're not jumping in, feeling wronged and feeling righteous, which is one of the most difficult, probably the most difficult. I am yeah. right. You, you are harming. Me, you know. So. Yeah,
1: yeah. But this is where meditation comes in. Because meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is you have a whole
0: chapter such... about that. Oh <laughs> it's yeah. Funny. What did you call that?
1: Oh, about that meditation practice you're kind of sort of maybe sometimes doing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. 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 But
1: I mean, it's such an ideal training ground for how we respond. Because everything that the world is throwing at us, our own minds will throw at us too. We clear the space and we sit down. There's our anxiety. There's our self-hatred. You know there's all the things we experience in the world, and so we get to practice though in that controlled environment. how do I respond how do i how do I calibrate to the heart in the face of this? That's really what what I think meditation is a big part of what it's for is is I have a friend, a Dr. Miles Neal, who wrote the book Gradual mm, Awakening yes, I know him, um, yeah. yeah, wonderful girl. because. He calls meditation your flight simulator for life. Yeah.
2: Right. Right. And
0: uh, that meditation should be approached, in my mind, along the same lines as you approach teeth brushing, brushing Mm. your teeth. You never (laughs) think about it. You get up in the morning, aside from going to the bathroom, the first thing you do is brush your teeth, most people. Yeah. You, and there's not a thought, geez, i got to go brush my teeth, you know. So meditation, once you give up thinking about it, you just sit there. It you know? doesn't matter what happens. <laughs> the fact that you're sitting there is enough. You know? It's mm. enough. Um, it's true. Yeah.
1: The the habit itself yeah. of sitting down yeah. with yeah. yourself makes so much more possible, no matter what's going down.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Um so emotional resilience, which you know we've been talking about and certainly talking about anger and so on um mm-hmm. and and you do talk about basically again it's too it's a it's being in a view, you know consumed by them and pushing them away or indulging them or repressing, which is what most of us do on a day to day and talk about the idea that we treat them as, as you put it, one-dimensional objects, as if they're not living embodied forces inside of us that have inherent value and intelligence. Talk about that. I think that's uh,
1: important.
2: Yeah. Well,
1: subconsciously, we uh, tend to objectify everything. Everything. We've made an object out of the Earth, and our Mm, behavior towards the planet is evidence of that. We've made an object, we make objects out of each other all the time, which allows us to be, enact aggression, enact, you know, all kinds of atrocities, you know, to, you know, in war, they reduce the enemy to, you know, the level of an animal to objectify them, to make it psychologically possible to kill, maim, destroy. Um, And we do that internally. You know, we treat the body as a machine, which the body is you know 13.5 trillion cells and each of those cells is in communication with their neighbor has a function has you know we could say in a sense has an awareness of their function um you know the body is very much uh my teacher says the body is a living other the body is a living other and we ought to treat it as such and, and communicate with it as such and it's com- definitely communicating with us all the time it's giving us so much data and information and the same is true of you know our breath and our thoughts. They're living energies that are they're an expression of our vitality, really. And that's also true of our emotions, that they are, are living forces in our lives. They are often the centerpiece of all of our decision-making, actually, no matter how rational we take ourselves to be. And they always have a reason. They always have a reason for coming up, for arising. And they contain a lot of information, actually. So we're very quick to say, I don't want to feel lonely. So I turn on Netflix or whatever my habit du jour is. But actually, that loneliness is coming from somewhere. It's coming from perhaps an experience in childhood, perhaps an experience uh, in the present moment, perhaps both combined, usually both combined. Um, And it's nagging at you. It's eating at you really because that's a part of you that wants your attention. That's why our emotions are intense, is they want our attention. And it, when we, instead of turning on the Netflix or whatever, when we stop and we turn and say, okay, what is, what is it that you want me to know? You know, Our lonely parts or our sad parts or things start happening inside of us. We can absolutely communicate Within our own psyche, it's not an inner monologue, it's an inner dialogue at all times, usually more like <laughs> a rioting crowd. but uh, <laughs>
0: judge and jury
1: but, but in this way, you know our emotions are trying to get our attention there's There's a story that perhaps needs to be told, there's insight that we can begin to unpack when we turn within when we stop objectifying our emotions and we start treating them as living presences in our lives. And the the big thing is, is that when you do that, it opens the doorway to, in all eventuality, resolving the very source of, you know, why does loneliness keep coming? Why does anxiety keep coming around? No matter what I do, I find that, you know, I'm always in the situation that pisses me off in the same way again, or every lover I take reminds me of the last one, <laughs> no matter how hard I try to pick a different one or, or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, where we, we are on these uh, treadmills of experiences and we take it as, you know, this means life sucks, or this means, you know, this always happens to me because I was born to lose or,
2: mm-hmm. but it's
1: actually the these these situations are eating at us because they want our attention. And when we stop and give our attention, it's healing becomes possible. Moving forward becomes possible. Understanding, you know, going back to the very source. For me, the source of my persistent loneliness is abandonment that I had in, I experienced in childhood. But through the processes like what I'm talking about here, I've been able to go back and hold space for those inner child parts that I found inside that were stuck waiting for mom to come home, waiting for dad to finally be kind to me for the first time, Uh, uh, waiting for an apology of some sort. And I've been able to say to those child parts of me, I got you now. Mom and dad are gone. We're grown now. And I'm going to hold you and I'm going to love you. And I'm going to just stay here with this loneliness you feel until it's all gone, Mm. until every last drop of it is gone. And this funny thing happens when you do that. If you stay long enough, the loneliness runs out. Mm. (laughs) Uh, That part of you has a chance to what we call uh, unburden, Uh, unburden themselves of, of whatever the affliction is. And, um, and that's the beginning of that, Uh, the
0: compassion and love for oneself before you can even think of sharing that.
1: I think that that's the beginning of enlightenment, to be honest with you, (laughs) Mm, I, I I think enlightenment's a reductive process. It's a lightening of our load and it's, it's the enlightened state is what we're left with (laughs) when there's, when there's no more affliction and running around in ignorance and confusion in the inner system. Hmm. but hmm. Maybe you want to debate me on that point. I think some would.
0: <laughs> no. No. I mean, and you know, it's it's part of my own little philosophical bent, which is enlightenment. Who you hmm. know enlightenment if you saw it. none of us would, <laughs> are you out of your mind? How about being kind and loving and compassionate to others? Let's get there. And that's yeah. what you just described is a way to mm-hmm. open to that by virtue yeah. of starting with oneself. So I totally am in agreement there. Yeah.
2: Thank you yeah. for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They say they say if someone were enlightened, they'd be too busy helping others to
2: notice. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, ah, you got so many great little things in here to, to help shift out of this uh the attachment that we have to the habitual patterns and neurotic tendencies, which are so – and I, I think one, one thing that uh, I love was this uh, – your little um, chapter around shifting the inner dialogue because, boy, are we horrible. The way we talk to ourselves is beyond. You, people won't even share that even with their closest people about how one talks to oneself. Uh, mm-hmm. It's extraordinary, and it's yeah. it's demeaning. It's it's so full of judgment, and I mean, it's extraordinary. And yeah. of course, mindfulness and a little meditation. By the way, meditation doesn't have to be. If you just sit there, yes, you can do wonderful. There's a gazillion different kinds of meditation, and um The one that I have loved over the years and learned back in the day is insight meditation. I I think that's a very – so anybody looking for that, I'm sure the people who are doing the show notes will give you a link over to Sharon and Joseph and and Jack and the teachings that they have brought back.
1: Uh, Solid method.
0: Yep. But it, it can be chanting, it can be body movement, it can be just walking around, uh, following, uh, meet Ralph out in the woods there where he is. <laughs> and uh, uh, it does not matter. That's the point. Yeah. It does not yeah. matter. So, yeah. but shifting that inner dialogue. Yeah, talk about that a little bit.
1: Oh, well, I feel like we've we've really been, right? Because mm. it's, it's this... It's this
2: well, we
1: we can talk about this in at least two ways, I and mean, probably a gazillion ways, as you said. Just as with forms of meditation, um, you know, stopping, turning around, and looking at the source of where those thoughts are coming from, where that voice is coming from, and getting curious about what what what's going on that. There's a part of me that would be so harsh, so incriminating, um, so mean, so nasty. That's, that's one way. But, you know, one of the things I love about mindfulness practice is um, it kind of happens implicitly as you continue with it, where, you know, you, the common experience is you're there at the tip of your nose, you're paying attention to the breath my mind comes in thought comes in and it's a real juicy one it's you know all the things i got to take care of when i get up from the cushion and we go headlong into that thought stream and then somehow some way we remember oh wait shit, I'm, i'm meditating and we come back to the breath well where did that whole world of thought go you know it just felt so real it just felt so important and then it vanishes in a second and this shows us something about the nature of mind and thoughts and this this inner dialogue that it's not it's not real it's fluff whereas the tibetans say more like wind less like rock and uh and so i've been actually talking to folks about treating their thoughts like you know when you are walking down the street and you see maybe it's a busy street but you see somebody you know walking towards you and you want to get their attention but there's like three groups of people between you and you just kind of look past those those whoever's between you to grab the eye contact of your friend and you project your voice past those folks you know and, and say hello right? just like that if you treat your thoughts like they're the three people <laughs> between you and your friend that you just simply look past. You don't have to take everything that flows through your mind seriously. It's not as substantial as it
2: seems in the moment. Hmm. You know? Yep.
0: They're just thoughts. They're not <laughs> anything. They're a, a passing show. We had When we were in yeah. India back in that day, they had uh, cigarettes called passing show. So we used to buy them, cut off the front of them, and put it on our altars. Passing show. <laughs> in ground, only in
1: India. Well, I mean, there it's like women with postpartum depression or even postpartum psychosis, which, by the way, is far more prevalent than we think that it is. Hmm. Um, it is very, very common for women who have just had a, a, a baby. To say walk by their microwave and have the passing show of i'm going to put this thing in the microwave and turn it on that's actually real the one in four women will have that sort of experience in the uh, postnatal moments and the difference between somebody who uh, goes into depression with that and uh, or maybe even a psychosis with that and somebody who just is able to carry on and get through that is how seriously you take those Mm thoughts. that's that's kind of the railroad switch that determines where the train is going Um, because it's normal to have just all kinds of fluff passing through your mind but if you hook into it you believe it and you take it as oh god i'm thinking about putting my baby in the microwave <laughs> then then you know it it, it it the the outcome is so different and this isn't to blame uh you know any given woman in this circumstance It's very very difficult but but you know one in four women suffer from postpartum depression and one in 10 of those will develop postpartum psychosis and this is this is a very, very common experience for these kinds of thoughts to come up. Uh, and what's important, though, is how you regard them.
0: Hmm. How about this, Ralph, since yeah. I'm sitting on the couch right now, lying on the couch?
1: <laughs> That'll just... cost you extra. If okay, you want the therapy, right. then... yeah, um, <laughs> just but... let me know where to invoice you. Yes,
0: no problem, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> um but, as you said that the whole thing um that thought of the baby and 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 mom and what what she's going through mm-hmm. i I had a baby uh mm-hmm. that I was taking care of. my baby wife was gone, you know mm-hmm. it was ours. This kid would not stop crying. I'm walking back and forth and back and forth, and then I went into another room. And I'm carrying him in my arms, Uh, and so as you go through the actual door, and then there's the door jam, and head was the little I had that thought: I'm gonna bang that (laughs) head on that door if he don't stop. You know, oh my God, how, you know, holy shit! I, I mean the, the way in which I believed I'm. I'm bad. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. I am the worst human being that ever lived on, you know, going through all of that stuff that we all go through. Mm -hmm. And now I look back at that and, yeah, I mean, the level of self-involvement and Mm -hmm. taking every thought seriously, taking myself seriously, believing in all of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, What we do is extraordinary, really. And, And just a little, again, we're talking about that little shift of perspective, view, whatever, Mm-hmm. It means so much just if, if you just flip a little into it, not taking yourself seriously these thoughts and the patterns that you have and so on. Huh? And it's unbelievable. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, I work with a tremendous amount of new parents who have oh. experiences like this, you know, the the rage, the, the resentment, sometimes the jealousy or, you know, I mean new parenthood seems to be a a real there's a real death and rebirth process uh, Mm. for the parent to let go of their old life and step into the new one and it can be so much can come up but i'll tell you something every time i work with a parent in that situation and we look at those emotions and we follow the breadcrumb trail to what they're really about we find their own childhood their own upbringing somewhere in there and Yeah. yeah It can be a very fruitful journey if you have good support.
0: Yeah. Uh, one thing that to me, and if we're talking about antidotes to mm. these kinds of things, uh, the, the way that we're attached to our minds and so on, mm-hmm. is, and you talk about this, is focusing on it. The focus on ourselves is so tremendous. I mean, my friend Krishna das, uh he calls it you wake up in the morning to the movie of me you're the <laughs> director producer you're the lead oh. actor you're the writer you got it all going 24/7 right and we do yeah. we absolutely yeah. do and yeah. um and you you do give a suggestion here which I wholeheartedly uh support and believe in um that it's an extraordinary way to counter that exact, uh, what do the Buddhists call it? Uh, Self cherishing. Mama, me, me, me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> is loving kindness. And Ramdas coined it loving awareness, which shifting perspective. That's why loving kindness is a beautiful metta, it's called, a meditation. And Sharon mm-hmm. Salzberg, by the way, you can. Get over to Sharon and the site, and she's got wonderful meditations around loving kindness. Because uh, what it does is it stops that self-absorption immediately mm-hmm. in its tracks. Because it's you're you're projecting outside yourself to other people, starting with people you do love and are easy to mm-hmm. uh, send blessings to, send love to, compassion, whatever. All the way to uh, enemies and or people that you you find uh, are major, shall we say, wrongdoing doers in this life, and um, so th- offering thoughts of well being is uh, an absolute primary way to stop that self absorption and. Um, that focus on oneself. So I'm glad you brought that up. And, yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: And it's a great way to feel better. <laughs> because as, as social beings who evolved to cooperate, which is why we have eyes in the front of our head and not on the sides, like mm-hmm. a lot of other species, right? We're, we're meant to have somebody watching our back. You know, um, we're hardwired to feel better when we're generous, when we cooperate, when we are collaborative, when we are in community with folks. We're hardwired. It's got to be from from within. It can't just be a superficial thing. And that's the point of of Metta Maitri loving kindness meditation is, is to train in doing it from within, actually giving from the heart. And we're always the first one to cheer up in that when we do that
2: so <laughs> a, yeah. and
0: then you bring up a, a major point a good way to close this uh, session sure. uh, and it's around us doing it together whatever we've been talking about here all of this wonderful book don't tell me to relax <laughs> i love that <laughs> i have to do that uh, but it's us doing it together it's it's you know i mean this is the the for me, the beauty of doing podcasts and, and, and hanging out with people for an hour or so is exactly satsang, sangha, community. The And now, of course, most of it happens on Zoom as a result of the pandemic. That will change. Nothing is going to stay the same. But in the moment, it's, it's offering us that opportunity still. And that is entirely... Uh, Key and and so important. Even Buddha himself said, right when Sariputta, I think it was, said, "What what out of the three uh, refuges, refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, which is the most important?" You'd think Buddha. Most people would go, and Buddha himself said, "No, Sangha, community," <laughs> and that's just a huge uh, um, gives us a huge leg up if we can just let ourselves uh, partake mm. and it it makes a big difference it has in my entire life it's been a central theme and yeah. Uh, yeah
1: we're nothing without each other yeah we are nothing it's, it's really mm. true and you know I, I, I perhaps this is a good note to close on is i really think that there's no way to be happy without a sense of being on a mission in this life. There's no, you know, we all need that. We all crave that to have a sense of I'm here for a reason purpose and, and yeah, and I'm on a mission of some sort and the only mission and there's a million different ways this could go. the only mission to be on is one of helping, one of service, one of love, one of spreading compassion, relief, healing um, in some way. Mm. I'm convinced there's Mm. just no way to be truly happy unless you cultivate that in your life.
0: Absolutely. As they say in India, Ram Ram. (laughs) 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 Bilku, for sure, for sure, for sure, Bilku. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. a little more
2: concise. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, thanks, Ralph. Love. Yeah, all we, thank you so our, much. Hang, our hangouts are just wonderful, yeah. and uh, everybody out there. Of course, all of the references, and including Victor Frankel, and of course, don't tell me to relax, and uh, everything will be on the show notes and available linked up, so you can easily find everything and and find Ralph. And, uh, again, thank you.
1: Yeah. So much gratitude to you. Always a pleasure.
0: Thanks Ralph. Everybody, this is mind rolling on be here. Now network, go to be here now slash mind rolling and go to be here now network on its own. And, uh, so many different, oh, Joseph Campbell, which that was a beginning quote, uh, looks mm-hmm. like we are going to have these wonderful uh, talks that uh, were given that include Joseph Campbell from Ohio Foundation, and that's going to start up in a month or so, and I can't wait to hear that. I haven't actually heard it. Eh? Joseph Campbell. Wow. That
2: sounds Probably wonderful.
0: The hero's journey, yeah. So we have great things coming up, including Alan Watts, too who's going to have a a podcast on the network. So tune in and we shall see you next week. Namaste.